Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? Today I'm starting a new series called Why I Am Catholic. This is part one, and the subtitle is Guilt is Not a Doctrine. Many people think it is, so I'm going to address some of that today. I bought into a kind of mentality for a few decades where I would shake my head at the portrait of faithful Christians as a bunch of superstitious, inbred fools. For quite some time, I could not revert to belief because it meant letting go of many of my assumptions and biases. In short, I wanted certainty. I had ingested from years of education a binge of television and gobs of self-help or new age fluff, this idea uh, that I needed certainty. Having lived some 40 years now, it became increasingly clear that a long campaign to bash and rewrite Christian history and what it even means as a word has been the motive of many of my educators and most of the media that I've consumed. There was a clear villain, especially in public school, and oddly enough, the Catholic university I attended for one year before transferring to a public university. It, I lost my faith at a Catholic university, or at least it put the dagger in the heart. Um, I Today, I feel like I paid $14,000 in my freshman year to have my soul amputated, which was an unexpected surgery um, that I didn't pay for. I feel like there's, I should get some money back for this. But anyway, the enemy in the classrooms uh, in, in both high school and, at, oddly enough, at the Catholic University was usually the church. It wasn't always said directly. Um it was often more like flank attacks on every single teaching of the church. But behind the teachings was always this shadowy Catholic church. Um, I put teachings in quotes in the, the typed version of this um, because most of what I was taught turned out to be a very, very loose telling of the details and often was just directly dishonest on what the church teaches. The accusation was not always made directly at the church, but when the direct inverse of faith and morals was being taught, um, the this story from my professors, which I was paying for, they were set on full sail toward pretty much anti-religion or a version of humanism or liberalism that um, was seemed to carry the day. And honestly, I have to wonder for a few of these professors, if it wasn't kind of a thrill to have taken a, a, a position for history or philosophy at a Catholic university and actively try to kill students' faith. I, I often wonder that. I mean, everything that the church held sacred was discarded and seemed almost a part of the core curriculum, literally, on nearly every doctrine of faith and morals. And this may sound like an exaggeration, but if I have enough time, I will go into it in more detail, and I have covered it in some degree in prior episodes. But obviously, it wasn't only the college experience, but television and the internet as well. And also my own need to rebel and get buck wild as much as possible from Thursday to Sunday night if I could swing it, if I had enough money. $4, bought a plastic cup at one of those all-you-can-drink house parties, um, or with a fake ID, you could get three beers for a buck at any bar in, in the city. Um, I could get, you could get hammered on the cheap. That's the thing. I took school very seriously, but the extracurricular of drinking was a very close second. Uh, I often wondered why I even went to college because I could have learned to program and, and write code myself, but instead I paid a lot of money to read books that I could have read at home. And in the process, I lost my faith and really any meaning in life. Um, but I do love learning and reading, so I lapped it up 
And uh, but the fruit of my education was full of worms for a long, long time until I finally slipped on my own rotten banana peel and hit bottom. And thank God for that. Somehow I was seeking answers and oblivion at the same time. And by the end of my freshman year, I had all the answers I needed. The answer was there was no God. Jesus was just a human teacher like Buddha or Bill Nye. Uh, the divine never broke through into our world. Um, another one was miracles were ludicrous. Uh, the universe, I thought, had always existed and evolution explained it all. And now it was time for Metallica and shots of Blue 100 and Aftershock, Yag bombs, straight whiskey, whatever. Eat, drink, and get wrecked for tomorrow we die. Oh, and make money career, make money. Everyone assured me that money was very important and that my American pursuit of happiness really, really needed money. So I really only saw oblivion and self-determination as the road ahead to any kind of meaning. And that is how I purchased the product that the culture and the college were selling. Now, there was a sales pitch happening with much fanfare and intellectualizing, and it felt a lot like how I came to take my first drink, which was by peer pressure and wanting to be cool and countercultural. Uh, while the cheerleaders of the modern world assured me that justification by STEM alone and the unending song of believe in yourself promised a glorious future kingdom on earth, the progress toward the utopia, whether by science, humanism, capitalism, or socialism, it didn't match the sales pitch. And in the end, the shiny product I bought to be cool turned out to be a Ford Pinto that exploded when life rear-ended it. Now, when you are selling a product, you craft a story. This is critical in sales, and academics and business people have gone to great lengths to craft and hone their tales. And if you don't think so, turn on a radio or a TV or open your phone. Within seconds, you will be ingesting a crafted story or advertisement or commercial professionally made just for your eyes, ears, tongue, and stomach to desire. That's what selling is. It's crafting a story. However, the crafted sales pitch is only one-third of making a sale. The second part is the demonstration, and the third part is proving it. Now, a demo or demonstration can be every bit of smoke and mirrors as the pitch, and it often is. Uh, in my career, for a company I once worked for, I was tasked with creating a demonstration for a keynote speaker at the company's largest annual event. And to show how great our software was, we created an app that showed meters and gauges wobbling and measuring temperature and wind speed and all these things on these uh, furnaces and air conditioners. And it looked amazing, really useful, cutting edge. And it was all fake. It was all fake. We used fake data. The app was connected to no real-world hardware, no wires, no live data. Uh, for another demo, I had to create a long series of click-through screens to show how well our product worked, with transitions to mimic a mouse click and so that the presenter could appear to be using an actual product. But there was no product. There was no application. It was all just images appearing to look like an application. The demo was a magic trick, but it looked good. And when a keynote speech is delivered, you can't send uh, Tim Cook from Apple out on stage with something where it will go wrong. Nothing can go wrong in the slides or a demonstration for a keynote speaker. That was made very clear to me, hence the need for the fake app and the click-through images. 
nothing, nothing, nothing could go wrong. Because even with the fake data, I was assured that if the demo erred or failed somehow, I would be looking for a new job. That's what sales needs. It needs a demo that does not fail. So when I left that company, I joined one that didn't play the same games and it felt much more authentic because we, we now demo the actual product without smoke and mirrors or as little smoke and mirrors as possible. And customers really like this, even when things go wrong. Employees appreciate this. So now being a demo dog, a demo dog is a dog you send out to do demonstrations all the time. They have to dance in front of the customer, but it's far more enjoyable when what you are showing actually exists and if it fails, you can speak honestly about the problem. You're not showing a bunch of uh, pulling rabbits out of hats and, and you know scarves out of your sleeve. Why is this more? Why is this better? It's authentic. It's authenticity. That is what people really want. But the smoke and mirrors of the screens attract us like moths to the bug zapper, so we can be very e easily fooled now. Now, the third part of selling is the proof that something works, that what you bought will do what they said. This is, of course, the most important part of all, because repeat sales do not happen with this piece if, unless it works. In the end, it's the only thing that really matters. Um, a good salesperson can sell a piece of junk one time, but then he had better move on to the next town because the jig is up when the product fails. Charlatans get caught up pretty quick in their own lies because reality always tests and proves out the claims of both the story, the pitch, and the demonstration. Now, uh, for anyone who grew up in the 80s or 90s, you may remember old Castrol GTX oil commercials. I linked to one here. They would show engines running at high RPMs with, with a low quality oil. Of course, these engines were not using Castrol GTX. The engine with the lesser oil would seize up in a dramatic clunk. Um, while we are left to assume that an engine with castrol oil clearly would have kept hammering the piston like a sewing machine. The story was that castrol protected your engine from viscosity and thermal breakdown, which turned on every car guy. This was like a turn on for guys. If you like cars or if you were an armchair engineer or a real engineer, um, and presumably even men who didn't even know what viscosity or thermal breakdown meant, but it was like, I want that for my car. These were shown during NFL football games as the target audience was men and boys who liked watching gladiator games and powerful engines and all of this because we all uh, needed this as a substitute for our own insecurities and feelings of powerlessness. Uh, but I digress. Don't let me go down that path. Um, let's stick to the demonstration in the commercial. It recorded this engine breakdown at high RPMs which made for a compelling story for the Castrol GTX oil claim, which was our oil is high quality and it performs under pressure. But the real test was always in the real world, not the advertisement or the demo. No one knows what engine was used or if the gauges were even real in the commercial. In other words, to keep selling a product, there has to be something more than words, more than just the demonstration. It must actually do what is promised. Marketing acts as the profit demonstrators the demo dogs they perform the sign and the usage is the proof the fulfillment of the prophecy and if the ball is dropped anywhere along the way through this gauntlet of sales you don't make a second sale sure for a while you can fool people because companies can and do step up their marketing and sales games but it cannot last forever the cracks eventually show 
we consumers may be stupid, but we're not completely stupid. Sometimes a failed idea that sold well can even take a few centuries to play out as the marketing story sounds so good, you just can't believe your eyes that it failed. And here, I am alluding directly to the stories and pitches of Karl's, Karl Marx or the absurd demonstration of things called Potemkin villages and the proof of the utter and complete failures of organizing society around anything that even touches the ideas of Karl Marx. But I'm digressing again. I'm digressing. So yes, let's leave it alone. We don't want to try that again, everyone who's listening. If you think you do, it's you're wrong. We are seeing the cracks today in four ideas that have dominated the past two centuries. Um, socialism, capitalism, humanism, and scientism. All four of these in their actual testing have proven flawed really beyond repair. And the reason why is simple. The reason why is very simple. They all push God off the stage so that the sacred self can be the center of all things. And that alone is the flaw. Now, these ideas and these ideologies alone are not bad, but anything that fails to include God as the highest good will fall into disorder. That's where we see the proof of the sales pitches. There is no other way. Order and disorder come from a cosmic theological law of spirituality. There are laws of physics, yes. There are even higher laws called the laws of spirits. God is the author of life of this book, so he chooses the ending. And any mere mortal that fails to follow the Greek's advice to know thyself is writing himself clear out of the book. Knowing thyself means knowing humility before God. And as I've said before, most people don't seem to have a problem with that idea. Humility before God and thanksgiving to God is the point of religion, the purpose of all prayer, but we so easily forget that. Uh, most people today would say I'm wrong, and they would say that the one thing that has proven flawed is Catholicism. It's backwards, they say, forgetting that you know, the university system and hospitals wouldn't be here without it. It's sexist, they say, ignoring that women make up more of the church and had more to do with starting the church than any other religion in history. Uh, it's racist, they say, while it's actually in every single country and growing the fastest in Africa and other uh, what we would call third world countries um, with every type of person imaginable who join together daily worldwide for mass with the shared experience. So they accuse it of many things. Its enemies are everywhere, everywhere. But what I've come to learn is that few people and not even most Catholics uh, understand Catholicism all that well. Much of what is known covers only the scandals of the church itself or some skewed history. And it certainly has its share of scandals and, and history, uh, some issues in history. Most people think it's just a list of rules for a bunch of guilt-ridden fools. But by far the most divisive and false belief about the Catholic Church come from active campaigns of misinformation, libel, and slander. And lastly, millions of fallen away Catholics had a bad example as their icon of faith who screamed and hollered and obviously misunderstood the whole thing as well. The common chorus you hear over and over is that I am a victim of Catholic guilt or I have Catholic guilt. So dear listeners and readers, Catholic guilt is not a doctrine of the church. Joy, however, is. This is a shame that no one knows this or so many have for her forgotten it. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the word guilt appears four times. The word joy appears 46 times. 
Something has been lost or misinterpreted or purposefully misinformed in the translation and delivery of church teaching. Now, here's my point. No one ever built a cathedral out of guilt. No one ever did the unnecessary toil of lugging massive amounts of stone across the ground with horses in order to get to hang up a set of rules on a wall. No one built statues or made sacred art or wrote hymns because of their guilt. For the same reason, no one has built a swimming pool in order to hang up the set of rules that say no running or no glass bottles. The pool is built for joy, for swimming, for fun, for what gives you life. All of these things were done for the joy that Christ gives to his followers. That's why churches were built. So the association of guilt with the church is the greatest tragedy of modern times because it's so utterly incorrect. And it is largely a manufactured fib that has now been passed down generations. People who treat the faith like just another Elks Club or Costco membership have completely missed the point. Costco followers have not yet built a Notre Dame or, or a Salamanca Cathedral. Um, it's far more than an identity. It's salvation. It's rest. It's peace. It's joy. And by the way, uh, as far as feeling guilty, that is the correct emotion if you did do something wrong. It's appropriate. But if that's all you learned about Catholicism, you know nothing, just as I did not for a time. Now, what floors me over and over as you comb through the history of the church is that through all of the persecutions and attempts to stifle the church, it does not die. It returns. And this is maddening to its enemies. Every earthly kingdom that has put resources into destroying it, whether by sword or tongue, which are often used as synonyms in the Bible, have failed to complete the job. Why? How? How can the nearly unlimited resources of emperors and kings with their armies of soldiers, their legions of intellectuals, how can they fail to destroy the body of Christ, the church? I can tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's because they already tried it once on the cross. And the same resurrection that happened with Jesus happens with those that he calls. In other words, it cannot be killed. But why? Why can't it be killed? Well, the reason is joy. The reason is that once you are lost and found again, the joy cannot be replaced by anything else in this world. For those who God calls, there is no replacement, no backup plan, no second option. All of what was desired before becomes absurd once Jesus finds his chosen followers. The question of why doesn't have an answer beyond joy, and the rest is the mystery, and the mystery is glorious. So the reason that the church has lasted is because orthodox faith is the one thing that has worked for bringing joy to the world. It has worked for 2,000 years, and it will work for as long as God keeps our story in the messianic age that we are now living in, this third act as we await the return of Jesus. It has been proven to work. This is the product that has reviews from every single generation since Calvary, since Jesus died. They're shouting out every generation. You can find writings that this Jesus really does what he promises. This is the reviews of every 
generation. It's tested repeatedly throughout centuries. The results show clearly. For those announcing its demise today, they will be disappointed just as every other group or king that tried to kill it by violence, propaganda, mockery, and indifference. And there have been many. The product reviews of what this thing does, what Jesus does to people, is in. And it's the same as it was today as it was in the year 40 AD. The, here's a list of the emperors and the powerful who've tried to destroy it. Just, just a short list. Napoleon, Nero, Diocletian, Julian the Apostate, Suleiman, the Vandals, the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, the Vikings, Henry VIII, Marx, Stalin, Lenin, Pol Pot, Hitler, Mao, Robespierre, and even <clears throat> Thomas Jefferson. Yep, I'm throwing that one in there too. He didn't believe. Um, he wanted to see he was not a Christian. Um, he was a deist. That's just a short list of names. Now, here's a quote from a First Things article. It says, Christianity has been pronounced dead before. During the siege of Constantinople in 674, some were crying that the last days of Christian Rome had come and that the armies of the prophet uh, of, of Islam would soon wipe out Christendom, as they had already destroyed Sasanian Persia and its ancient religion. In the 13th century, as Machiavelli observed, trust in the Catholic Church, mired as it then was in corruption and infested with heretics, only survived thanks to the holiness of Saints Francis and Dominic. Prognosticators foresaw the collapse of Christian Europe after the fall of Constantinople to the Ottoman Turks in 1453. But two centuries later, following the Battle of Vienna in 1683, it was the Turks who were driven out of Europe. The French Revolution tried to de-Christianize France, but that campaign lasted less than a dozen years. So here's what I'm here to tell you, and what's kind of the point of the podcast itself or the, the articles is, nothing lasts like faith in Jesus. We know this God cannot be killed. From history alone, we know this is a fact. From the cross to the tomb, we know this. He rose. It is a repeated an ever-present truth of the way, as the early Christians called this before the word Christianity existed, the way, um, this is the uncomfortable reality that Jesus isn't dead, that God is a living God who knows the number of hairs on your head. That's the only God that can change your life. That's the only one you want changing your life or, or guiding you, calling you. So even though many today, they like to point to the flaws alone or the scandals, and call that the totality of Catholicism, there's something far more going on. At some point, it doesn't even make sense that this thing would continue, given all of the energy put forth to snuff it out. If it seems like I'm generalizing, read about the martyrs and the saints, especially in the first 200 years or 300. Read about how the church nearly died time and again, only to reemerge. In real time today, right now, we are witnessing the onslaught of the world against the church from professors to internet commenters to, to um, loads of atheists or agnostics to national governments, all who go out of their way to attack and blame Christianity, in particular, the Catholic Church, for all the world's ills. It almost feels like a game or a joke as the blame and accusations pile up. And at some point, when considering it all, I even laugh because the dogpile is so uneven and absurd. 
And that absurd imbalance leads to questions as the resilience of this church surpasses any other institution in human history. The big question that began to stick out like a sore thumb had less to do with the church than with its enemies. The more you see someone or something being attacked, the more you start to wonder about the attackers. And I'll go into some of that in the upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening, everybody.